I wonder, have you ever seen a lion? And not, not in a cage, not sedated, not on a television screen, but have you ever seen a lion in real life? Anybody? I've talked to people that have seen them in the wild in, in Africa. I've not had that experience myself. Uh, I, the closest thing that I've come, though, was one time when I was uh, working a summer job in the Black Hills. I grew up in just over the Wyoming border of the Black Hills, and I worked a summer job in the Black Hills two years. And I, I kind of, some weeks, would make it a, a little bit of a game to see how many different ways I could get to and from work. And so I would go this way and that way and this way and that way. And, and one time on the way home from work, I'd close things down. I came home on the Needles Highway. Anybody ever driven the Needles Highway? A few hands going up there. You know the Needles Highway. And there's a place where it splits. And the oncoming traffic, you don't even see it. There's trees in between you and the oncoming traffic. And you're in a single lane kind of winding through this. And I was, it was after dark. My headlights were on. And there was a rock ledge. And I saw a mountain lion jump down from that rock ledge, land in the middle of my lane, and bound off into the, the brush. And it was one of the most majestic things I had ever seen. It was fierce, it was powerful, it was graceful. It was this combination of all of those wrapped into one in this moment. And you kind of had to blink and, did I really just see that? And if you've seen one of these, uh, these apex predators in their natural environment, it is a sight to behold. It is that combination of power and beauty and grace uh, that all kind of meld into one. And so you might be wondering, why is he talking about mountain lions at the beginning of our sermon? And if you've been reading the book of Daniel, you kind of know what's coming, or maybe you have children and you've read them Bible stories and things like that. We're continuing our series titled Stand, Stories of Courage. We've been looking at the life of Daniel, and we've been looking at times in the life of Daniel when he had to take a stand, and particularly the ways in which he took the stand that he took and the results that came from it. So today we'll continue that series. We started by talking about standing out from the crowd and, and the idea that courage is contagious and Daniel's uh, taking a stand and the courage that he uh, models and not eating the king's food uh, empowered and enabled his friends to stand with him in that his courage was contagious. Last week we talked about him taking a stand uh, to interpret a dream that nobody wanted to interpret for the king uh, that wasn't exactly good news for the king, and yet Daniel takes the stand, does the right thing. He stands up for what is right and, and, and stands up. Today he's going to be standing strong, and he's going to be standing strong uh, in the face of fierce opposition uh, from his peers and, and from those around him, uh, a familiar story from Daniel and the lion's den. I would encourage you today, if you're familiar with the story, to try to pretend you're not. Try to pretend you've never heard this before. Hear it again with fresh ears, with fresh eyes uh, as you look into this. And, uh, and really pretend that you've never heard this before, never really considered it before, and see what God might have to say to you. Uh, one thing that I find as I've read this to my children, uh, sometimes the lions in the, in the illustrations of Daniel and the lion's den are not very fierce at all. Sometimes they're a little too fierce. Like, we don't want to read that version before bed because they'll have nightmares about lions. But other times, you know, he's got a cute little baby cub. It looks like Simba sitting in his lap. And, and uh, you know, that's not what we're talking about either. These lions were indeed fierce. They were not cute 
and cuddly. This was a, an instrument of certain death. When you got sentenced to be thrown into the pit of the lions, it was a sentence of death. And so keep that in mind. They're also not little kitty cats that you, know, that you might have as a house pet. Uh, they are absolutely fierce, fearsome animals. And they were not fed very often so that when the sentence was carried out, they would be good and hungry for that. Although another thing you might keep in mind as we begin to read this is that Daniel is not a young man at this point in the story. Uh, if we follow the, the historical points and markers that we have uh, from inside Scripture and outside Scripture, we know that he's serving his third king now. He started with Nebuchadnezzar, then he served Belshazzar, now he is serving Darius, and it's really likely that Daniel was in his mid-80s at this point. And so he has been serving in the court of a foreign king for somewhere between 60 and 70 years. And he is an older, older man at that point. And so uh, when we pick up the story here and begin reading, we're going to read the whole chapter, uh, Daniel chapter 6. It's on page 1381 in the blue pew Bibles that are in the seats in front of you if you want to grab one of those or if you follow along in the Bible you bring or a digital version or something like that. Um, We'll read chapter 6 and if you've been reading through the book of Daniel you've noticed that things take a a real turn at the end of chapter 6. Chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 is kind of narrative. It follows a historical uh, progression. You get into chapter 7 and it turns into these visions and it turns into um, some prophecies for the future and it backs up to when he was with Belshazzar and, and the timeline gets a little wonky. So if you don't have a good study Bible, I would encourage you uh, to, to go online to a, a good study helps if you're reading through Daniel and trying to understand. Uh, there's a lot of overlap between Daniel, the, the latter chapters, and Revelation. But today we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 6, and, uh, and, and let's just read the first nine verses here, and then we'll pause and, and look at a couple of things and uh, move on. So verse 1, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. How many of you used the word satrap in the last week? Anybody? No, it's not one that we use all that often. It's kind of a Babylonian uh, word. It means kingdom protector, kingdom protector. So uh, this, is, this is somebody that he's appointed to protect that realm of the kingdom, which at this point Babylon had grown quite large. It was pretty much covering most of the known world uh, and, and, and had subdued the area around it. So he sets up these 120 t- satraps with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them, to the administrators, so that the king might not suffer a loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this The administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the laws of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, oh, King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. 
Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the, per- and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. So you might be figuring out where this is headed, especially if you are familiar with the story. Uh, Daniel really set himself apart once again. It seems like every setting that Daniel found himself in, he set himself apart. He distinguished himself from the others, so much so that these 120 satraps or kingdom protectors and the other two administrators became very jealous of Daniel and very jealous of the authority that was about to be given to Daniel by the king. And it's interesting to keep in mind because we live in a democracy and so you might be uh, tempted to think of this as more of a political or a representative democracy like these 120 satraps were representing and, and casting votes. No, this was, this was a monarchy. King Darius is at the head, then the three administrators, then the satraps, and it was all meant to establish and maintain authority so that the king would not suffer loss in the form of taxes or have to expend uh, energy and resources putting down rebellions. And so that is what this is all about. And these other two administrators probably stirred up the satraps and made them jealous of Daniel and were seeking to overthrow Daniel in some way. And Daniel's going to have to decide once again to stand strong. So the way we've organized our content today is is I'm going to organize it around three truths that will help you to stand strong. These are three truths that we see in the life of Daniel that we can uh, understand and can encourage us and give us the strength to stand strong. The first of these is that when God raises you up, don't be surprised when people try to tear you down. When God raises you up, don't be surprised if people try to tear you down. We see this in the case of Daniel. God has raised him up, given him power and authority and influence far beyond any of the others, and, and God has raised him up, and here are people coming in to bring him down. And I love the second half of verse 4 and verse 5, where it says that these who are trying to bring him down, they could find no corruption in him, because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the laws of his God. So in a 70-year career serving in the court of a foreign king, Daniel has done nothing, has no skeletons in the closet. He has done nothing that they can point to and say he's not worthy of the influence. He's not worthy of the authority. He's not worthy of serving in this role. He's not done a single thing. They can't find anything. Nothing sticks to him. Nothing at all. And wouldn't it be great if this described all Christians? Wouldn't this be great if it described everybody in this room, that if somebody was going to try to bring us down, if God raised us up and gave us influence and authority and gave us an opportunity to really make a difference in the world, and somebody was trying to bring us down, that they would not be able to find anything other than some point of our devotion to God that they could turn against us. Wouldn't it be awesome if the only way that they could bring us down when they try to bring us down is our devotion to God. And that's the case with Daniel here. That's the case with Daniel. And it highlights this, this principle that if you're, not ready, if, you're not, if you're not ready to face opposition for God and for your service to God, 
and your obedience to God, then you might not be ready to be used by God in the way that he wants to use you. Daniel was willing to face opposition. Clear back in chapter 1 when he he found the right way to take a stand and not eat the king's food. He was willing to face opposition, and he has spent the last 60 or 70 years facing opposition for his beliefs and being one who stands out in the crowd and continually having the courage to do that. And if we're not ready to face opposition for our obedience to God, whether it's spiritual opposition or whether it's flesh and blood in front of us, which has spiritual opposition standing behind it. Remember, we talked in the first week on Ephesians chapter 6 and how it says there, stand firm, stand firm against the spiritual forces of wickedness because we do not war against flesh and blood, but we war against spiritual powers that are trying to bring us down. And it keeps saying, stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. And when you've done everything you can do, stand stand in the full armor of God, stand in the power of the Spirit, and so forth. And so what is Daniel going to do? And and maybe before we answer the question, what is Daniel going to do, I want to encourage you to ask the question, what would you do in the same set of circumstances? What would you do if you were Daniel? I thought through this, and I thought, you know, he's really got three options. He's really got three options. The first one, it would be to stop praying. Stop praying to his God. Stop, uh, you know, doing anything that looks like praying to God, only pray to his king. I mean, he is, after all, serving in his court. Uh, It's only for 30 days. This is not something that's going to be forever, you know. It's just for 30 days. God will understand, right? And so he can rationalize it that way, and that's the first choice that he could make is to just stop, go ahead and honor the, the edict that has been made. The second one would be to pray silently. So continue to pray to God, but to do so silently, to, to kind of hide it, kind of like right now. Do you know if I'm praying right now? I am, but you can't really tell, can you? I could be thinking about the Cubs. I could be thinking about my kids. I could be thinking about family members. I could be doing all kinds of different things, and you wouldn't necessarily know. So he could just hide it, kind of go underground for the 30 days. Continue to pray but to not pray, you know, in a way that would call any attention to himself. And if I'm honest, that'd probably be my choice. Like, why, why make an issue, right? Just take it underground for 30 days. The sun will shine again, and, and we'll be able to do that. Let's see what Daniel does. He's got a third option. He can keep praying and risk death, and I'm guessing you've probably figured out that that's what he's going to do. So we'll pick this up in, chapter, in verse 10 where we hear this. When Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him in his royal decree spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that any man, sorry, that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. 
Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. And so Daniel did what he has done before. It even says that. It says that he did just as he had done before. In the light of receiving this news, in the light of receiving this edict, and finding out what had been done and what had taken place, he goes home, he gets down on his knees, and he prays just as he had done before. In the first week, we talked about pre-deciding. That the heat of the moment is often not the best time to decide what you're going to stand for or what you're going to stand against. That the heat of the moment is not the time to be making these decisions. When emotions are running high, reasoning is often running low. So Daniel had predecided what he was going to do and how he was going to do it. Daniel understood the second truth that we're going to talk about today. And the second truth is that kneeling to pray gives you the strength to stand. He knew he was going to have to take a stand, and he knew that kneeling to pray, as he had done every single day for the last 60 or 70 years, that it was the kneeling to pray that was going to give him the strength to stand. In fact, that's our bottom line for today. So if you get nothing else, if your mind or your attention has wandered, if you got a text and you opened up your phone, and then next thing you know, you're in Facebook and you're scrolling through that, come back, come back. We got three truths. The middle of the three truths, truth number two, is that kneeling to pray gives you the strength to stand. And if you're going to take a stand, make sure you're kneeling to pray so that you have the strength to stand in the right way at the right time for the right reasons. And his first response to this problem is to go home and pray. And I wonder, is that, is that our first response? Is that my first response? Is it always to pray? Or do we try everything else first? Did he try to go lobby the king and, and say, well, did you think about this? Or did you think about that? Or is it okay to re- reverse this edict? Or could I get an exception? Or He didn't do any of that maneuvering. He didn't try to hide it. Kneeling to pray was his first response. You see, the world wants us to try everything else first. And when we've exhausted all of our options and everything that our mind can think of, then we say, well, all we can do now is pray. Have you ever heard somebody say that? It's like, it's never intended to be our last resort. It's supposed to be our first option. And we don't pray as a last resort. That's what the world wants. It's not that all we can do now is pray. It's as soon as we are confronted with something that rocks us or that troubles us or that presents itself as a problem, right then we pray. It's our first, it's not all we can do is pray. It's we can pray. We can pray right now. And as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of, of a lady that I encountered when we were in Casper. Her name was Ora Cornquin. Ora Cornquin. Good, good name you might find in Sioux Falls at some point. Um, 
but she was on the board of this rescue mission where I was serving and uh, had been involved for several years. And she was an interesting case because most of the people that came and, and asked to be on the board of the rescue mission came because, you know, they had some business experience, or they were a CPA, or they were an attorney, or they had something, uh, you know, some professional skill to offer. And the thing that was neat about Aura was she, she said on her application, I have a burden to pray for the ministry and for the people of this rescue mission, and I want to be on the board so that I know how to better pray for them. And she came to every meeting. She took copious notes, and she prayed and prayed and prayed. And when Aura got on the board, things started changing. We had been working for some time to open up a transitional housing place for women who, uh, who were homeless for a variety of different reasons and their children. They couldn't stay in the main mission with the other men, and, and the mixed-gender situation just wasn't conducive to children, so we were having to turn away people with children. And uh, this, this kind of went through just like that as soon as Aura got on the board. And the renovations went through just seamlessly. You know how construction projects can be. And we started to point to one thing after another that changed, that had been kind of in a logjam when she got on the board. And I'll never forget the way she would say this little line that she would often say. She would say, it's not prayer, it's prayer. And she would kind of whisper it. And her eyes would light up, and this little—I mean, she was probably she was retired, so she was she was in her older years. She was probably eighty-five pounds. You know, she was short, she was frail, but the fire in her eyes when she would talk about prayer and when she would pray out loud was something that I envisioned being present in Daniel and the way that he approached prayer. Not just something to do before a meal, not just something to do at the beginning or the end of a day, but something that was the drumbeat to his life for 60 or 70 years. Do the math on that if you get geeked out by numbers and think about three times a day, 365 days a year for 60 or 70 years. That's how many times Daniel had knelt to pray to his God, even though he was serving the court of a foreign king. He doesn't announce it. He doesn't create a lot of fanfare. He just goes home and does it, just as he always had. It was a lifestyle for him. And it, it highlights this. Maybe it's another way of saying our bottom line. that Daniel was able to stand strong before men because he regularly knelt before God. He was able to stand strong in the court of a foreign king because he regularly knelt before God. And if you're having trouble finding the strength to stand... Perhaps you only need to kneel more often and more regularly. James 1.5 tells us that, that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. If there's an area in your life, whether it's your health or it's your finances, it's your parenting, it's your marriage, it's some other relationship, it's work, it's whatever, and you lack the wisdom that you need, I would encourage you to find some more time. To spend on your knees before God, praying and seeking that wisdom, and he will give it to you. And you will find wisdom that you did not possess coming into your life. And you may just need recognizing that you need to take a stand in a certain area. We've got some students in the, class, in the congregation, and they're going back to school, and they're going to have times where they're probably going to be called upon by God and by their moral compass and by the Spirit of God to take a stand. 
And I want to encourage you to spend some time praying. Spend some time praying on your knees if you're able to find that strength that you need to stand. Maybe it's parents and it's, it's activities or it's schedules or it's calendars. Or maybe there's some financial decision that's coming up. Or maybe there's an issue at work with ethics or with integrity that's taking place. And you need the strength to stand. Don't stand alone. Kneel before God and find the strength to stand. And sometimes coming together in prayer is one of the best ways that we find that strength to stand. I was blessed when I walked by at about 10 o'clock that the, the, the group was praying together in a little circle in our prayer chapel. We do this every week. We have time set aside for people to gather and to pray together. And so I loved seeing that. I would love to see, as I've shared before, one of my dreams, and I think every healthy church has a vibrant prayer ministry. One of my dreams is that that chapel gets outgrown and we're not able to meet in there anymore because we've got to move into the gym or we've got to move into a bigger classroom or we've got to move somewhere where we can have our prayer meetings because we can't fit 30 or 40 or 50 people. And I would love, 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 you want to, you know, you, you missed my birthday, it was June 22nd, but if you want to give me a belated birthday present, it would be to find one of these, put it down on your calendar, repeat it for the first or the second, or the third, or the fourth Sunday every month, and make it a priority to come and pray. We have a prayer guide. It helps you to know how to pray for your church, for specific needs in your church, for some things that are on there every, every month that, that we're just, we always want to pray that we succeed in our mission or that we um, welcome new people and, and all of those different things. But there's often specific things for that month. As students go back to school, for example, you can pray. You can pray together with somebody. And whoever's there, somebody just take the lead and begin to pray and pray together. We kneel before God so that we can stand strong in the world. And we don't just do it when the problem comes. If you're in the habit of doing it all the time, then when life throws you a curveball, you don't have to reorient your life. You're already praying on a regular basis. It's part of who you are. And you find that you are drawn into prayer in those moments. Because I've got news for you. Life isn't a Disney movie. The problem doesn't show up in the first 10 minutes and get resolved by the 80th minute. Sometimes things go really, really wrong. And as I look out over the sanctuary this morning, I see people that have had some severe challenges in their life. And it wasn't a Disney movie where everything was resolved at the end of an 80-minute time frame. And they've lived with challenges. They've lived with difficulties. It feels like what they tried didn't work. And sometimes that's the case. Sometimes it feels like we failed. And all I can promise you is the third point. That when you do what's right, when you do what's right, you can always trust God with the results. When you do what is right in any given situation, you can trust God with the results. And they may, the outcome may be far, far from what you had in mind. It might be even different than what you had asked for. But you can trust God with the results. Think about it. We know how the story ends. Daniel didn't. We know what the Daniel in the, story, the, in the lion's den story, we know how that ends. But in the moment, Daniel did not. He went, he got down on his knees, and he prayed. And the edict was carried out, and he was lowered into the lion's den. He received the sentence of death. Think about that for a moment. Not knowing how the story would end, not knowing what the next morning would bring, he knew that he could trust God with the results. For 80 years, God had been faithful to him, and Daniel had been faithful to God. And sometimes God doesn't give you what you want. 
Sometimes God doesn't give you exactly what you pray for. Sometimes he knows that that's not what you need. And any time that God says what feels like a no to you, you can trust that he has something better for you and that it's all going to work out in the end. Maybe not next week, maybe not next month. But if your name is written in the land's book of life, then eternity is taken care of. And this little sliver that our lives represent in the scope of eternity will, will be a vapor, Scripture tells us, in comparison to the eternity that we will spend with him. He has worked out eternity for us. We can trust him. We can trust him. And it's important to understand that prayer is not like a wedding registry or a baby registry, a Target. Have you ever done one? Those are a blast, aren't they? We haven't done one in a while. You know, we got married like 17, 18 years ago, 18 years ago. I should know that. We had our last child over six years ago, so we haven't figured out or we haven't filled out a baby registry for a while. But this is a kick. You walk in, they hand you a scanner. You feel like the king of the world. You're walking through Target. It's like, yeah, I want one of those. I I want two of those. And you go through and you pick out everything that you would get if you were having a a shopping spree in Target or Walmart or wherever you choose. And then they put that all on a list. And people come in and they punch a couple things on the screen and they find your list and they go buy you stuff. And if we're not careful, that's how we start to view prayer. Like, God, I'm filling out my registry. Here's what's on it. Get busy. You know, the, the wedding is such and such a date. The babies do on such and such a date. And that's not the way life works, is it? That's not the way prayer works. In fact, the, the real goal of prayer should not be to communicate to God what we want, but to hear from God what He wants. To bring our will in line with His will, not to inform Him on what we may need most. He already knows. And He knows what we need is often not at all on our mind. That what we need is the grace to persevere. What we need is the patience to endure. What we need is the faith to press on. And so when, I would love to know what Daniel prayed. But I don't think it was a prayer trembling, God, deliver me from the lion's den. I think it probably had something to do with God be glorified in this moment. May their plans not succeed. May you receive glory in this midst, in the midst of this this trial in the midst of this turmoil and i'll bet it had something to do with if he saves me i'll trust him and if he doesn't if this is the end of the road if this is my last night i'll trust him you see when you spend your life in fellowship with god seeking and following and serving god and trusting in god every moment of every day death is a win-win proposition it doesn't scare you You either stay and continue to serve him and continue to follow him and continue to trust him, or you depart. Paul said something similar. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So Daniel wasn't in a win-lose situation, and we don't have to approach these things as win-lose situations either. But let's see how the story ends. Picking up verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. 
And it occurred to me this morning as I was reading through this one more time, that's, that's an order that had never been given before. Nobody had ever been lifted out of the den alive. This was a first. He gave orders that Daniel be lifted out of the den, and when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So even in the darkest moment, even when things looked very, very bleak, it was just setting the stage for the king. Once again, the most powerful person alive at this point in history to give glory and honor and praise to God through Daniel taking a stand, standing strong in the face of great opposition. And so as we bring this to a close, I want to remind you that it is in kneeling, that kneeling before God gives us the strength to stand before men. And that kneeling to pray gives you the strength to stand. So I want to encourage you as we close the the service today, in our time of response, in our time of reflection, if you're able to kneel, kneel. Kneel where your seat is. Turn and kneel before God. And seek the wisdom that you, that you need. If you're not able to kneel, I would encourage you to just do something that changes your posture. Makes it a little more humbling. A little more, maybe it's coming forward. Maybe that's the last thing you would ever want to do in a room with 250 people is to come forward to the altar. What are people going to think? Well, let me tell you what they're going to think. Not that there's something wrong with you, but that there's something right with you. That you're coming forward to interact with God. As we often say, you can come forward to the center aisle or the center altars and pray alone. If you want somebody to pray with you, go to one of the two side altars and someone will meet you there and pray with you. But however you choose to respond, respond in faith to God today. Respond in faith. Seek the wisdom that you need. Seek the courage that you need. Who knows what that courage might be? Maybe it's the strength to stand in some area in life that's crystal clear. Maybe it's the courage to invite somebody to church again. Maybe it's the courage to witness, to share your faith, to tell about the change that he has made in your life. However you choose to respond, respond in faith. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for your word, for the way that it instructs us, for the way that it encourages us, for the way that it inspires us. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people who regularly kneel before you that we might find the strength to stand before men. May we be a people who fall to our knees when the world comes against us and in so doing find the strength to stand. We love you, Lord. We thank you and praise you for who you are Minister to us now, Spirit. 
have your way in each of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.